Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome, guys, to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm Amanda G. coming to you from New Orleans. Have we got a great episode for you. This was actually my first time meeting this guy, and he opened up, and it was so amazing. Uh, Casey Lai, spelled L-E-Y, came into New Orleans for Hell Yes Fest, and I was able to interview him. Um, And then you're going to hear a clip of his stand-up. He did a set at the Greetings from Queer Mountain show at Hell Yes Fest. So uh, Casey's got a lot to say, so let's get to it. Uh, welcome to New Orleans, Casey. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. Yes, is this your first time in New Orleans? No, I've been here a bunch. I actually did this fest two years ago, but I think this is my f- fifth time to New Orleans overall, um, because I love it, and they keep having me back, and I've never done anything enough to get kicked out, but I would imagine you'd really have to lean in to get kicked out of New Orleans. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of shit that in any other city it wouldn't fly, but here they're like, that's New Orleans. That's our big thing. We're like, that's New Orleans. I love it. I like, um, I used to live in San Francisco for years and San Francisco has changed a great amount and it's not the same, but there was always this like kindred feeling between the two where people got that you had to let the population dress up and take the streets and just be fucking weird. And, like, I do feel like not every city gets that, and those two cities got it a lot. So when I first came here, I was like, oh, I get this. I see you, New Orleans. I understand you. Yeah, and I uh, actually went to college in the Bay Area, and I remember Halloween. And Halloween there is the only Halloween I could possibly compare to New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. Absolutely. Castro's amazing. Yeah, we had our fun there. But now (laughs) it's over. San Francisco's dead. Did you hear that, San Francisco? You're dead. You are. There's, like, the last lesbian bar around. gone. Yeah, the Lex is gone. She gone. She gone. Riddled with gay bars still, though. I don't know why. Every time I went there, it was so packed. I can't... But I guess there was an issue with the lease or... Lease and money and stuff like that. It's hard to do anything there anymore. It's hard to maintain any sort of, like, long-term plan there just because things are changing so much and rents are so high. It is still very gay, but, like, all the gays... Look, I'm going to get in trouble for this, Mm -hmm. but all the gays are just, like, um bros now like it's like like, there's like a couple of drag queens left and then all the artists moved to oakland and then all of the tech guys came out because they're comfortable finally and they and their lacrosse 
friends, teammates are now like just hanging out and sucking each other's dicks, and it's fine. <laughs> that is not the scene I remember. <laughs> I'm kidding a little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Like it's still super fun. I just was. I just was there. It's super fun. I wouldn't change it for the world. But no, I'm sorry. I I, I would change <laughs> certain things about it, but it's still super fun. It's super great. I love a lot of people there. Um, it's just hard to live there if you're like trying to struggle and be a comic. You know? Yeah, and I, I missed the boat. I actually didn't come out till after college, and I was in Got the it. safest, most comfortable environment to do that. But I also needed to be in that environment to, to get, get myself, you know, to that place. So I, I really, that. I look back and I'm like, if I could do my life over, that's what I would do. At 18, I'd move out, come out, enjoy yeah. the fuck out of college in a different way. Yeah, I get that. Um, I went to like a wee, very conservative college. But I still, like, in the middle of the woods, but I still, like, was, like, ready to come out there. But also, I look at it, and I'm like, if only I had, like, make str- made stronger, like, long-term decisions about college rather than, like, going to the best school that I got into, I would have, like, probably been happier, grand scheme. And maybe a lot more obnoxiously gay. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit better, sure. Casey. Uh, you were born in Rhode Island? I am from Rhode Island, yes. I've never met anyone from Rhode Island. There's few of us. There's only, you can only, it's like Wyoming. Like, I guess you might, like, you're from the West Coast. Like, do you know anyone from Wyoming? No. Well, see, there you go. Um, there's only, I think there's the same population of, like, people from, who live in Wyoming as in Rhode Island, and, like, the, this, the state size couldn't be more ridiculously different, you know? So, like, we're all jam-packed in this tiny little state. Um, but yeah, there's not many of us. But, um, some of us are cool. A lot of us are, like, uh, Goombas. <laughs> <laughs> Just take on that or persona like, from yeah. the surrounding states. No, Rhode Island is very like Italian-y and like mafia-y in certain ways. That's a little stereotypical and I don't, that's not like totally fair, but it, that, like it's a very small state and I think that people's perceptions of Rhode Island are twofold. One, it's like, oh, fancy boy Newport boats and tennis courts and like that's part of it. And then the other part of it is like, oh, like, Patriarcha family and like Buddy Cianci, crime mayor and things like that. Like, did you listen to that Crime Town podcast? It was kind of like a thing this year. No, I haven't. It was good, but it was all about like how Rhode Island was fucked up. <laughs> There's a lot of every podcast with crime. It's like, oh, Alabama's fucked up and Rhode Island's <laughs> fucked up. And that is funny. We yeah, we like to call ourselves the Alabama of the North. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. No, no one says it. For sure. So you, <laughs> no you, one wants to be the Alabama of anything. Let's be real. Especially right now. Yeah, seriously. Especially right now. Hey, let's elect a child molester to the Congress because we just don't give a fuck no more. Is it offensive? Here's a question. In the South, is it offensive to do a Southern accent? No, no. And especially okay, in New Orleans. I feel like New Orleans, it's a lot of transplants here, first of all. But uh-huh. I feel like even people from here want to distance themselves from that that image. Yes. So they're like, we're not Alabama, Mississippi. We're not even northern Louisiana. Yeah. Like, we are New Orleans. And it feels that way. I love New Orleans. I can feel, I feel like you can be gay here and it's cool. Like, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to push things that I don't know. But I feel like you can, like, you tell, actually, you tell me, Kent, is it cool to be gay here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, cool. you know, we have not only pride, we have decadence, and we've had it for years. Oh, and, you know, every, yeah, you should. I'm decadent. It's fantastic. You yeah. are, and everyone can march in the parade. You don't need a fucking permit. Like, you just show up, and right. you get to march, and be like, I'm here, and I'm queer, and right. I love you, and I'll give you beads, and I'll take beads, and I'll drink a bunch in the street, because I can. Right. And it's cool. It is too bad that homosexuality caused Katrina, though. I do always feel bad about that. <laughs> there were a 
there were some t-shirts in uh, Northern California. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, Northern Louisiana, where people were basically like, that's why Katrina yeah. happened, and it was, we should all the burn hell for that. The queers did this. They yeah. covered the Ninth Ward, and they're, come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> all day, we plotted it for years. Plotted it for <laughs> we years. We all got together. It was a lot of come. Um, yeah, no, I love, I, I think that's great. I think any city, you know, cities are definitely more tolerant in general, but like New Orleans just, I mean, Richard Simmons is from here, the gayest person in the history of America. Ellen DeGeneres is from here. Damn. Like, we have them all. Damn. Yeah, and, you know, they were able to come out, you know, at their own, at their own pace, but they've been huge advocates, and that's fantastic to yeah. say, like, hey, they're from here, so they're your, they're your people. Ellen DeGeneres' mom still lives in Metairie, which is a suburb here. Yeah, totally. And she's still in all the parades. She's very involved with a lot of the gay organizations, and I think that's fantastic. I think that's fantastic, too. All right, so you grew up in Rhode Island? Grew or up just... in Rhode Island. Oh. Lived, in, lived in Rhode Island till my, till my, uh, later teens, um, and then schooled in, New England states. Um, I went to Dartmouth College, which is a very good school. Um, and that was like the height. That's like the best I've achieved at anything until ever since. Like I, uh, I worked very hard. I feel like as a queer, and we can, t- we can talk about this at different points and maybe we feel like you, I didn't fit in internally. I think externally everyone assumed I like I've like layered masculinity on throughout the years to like fit in in ways and I was capable of doing that and then I think uh um so but as a result of never really feeling at ease I just like did the schooling came easy to me in a lot of ways and so I overachieved in that way and so I got into really good schools but uh, I didn't know what to do with it after that I always the, the goal was always to like succeed but never necessarily to know what I was going to succeed in and so I worked really hard to please parents and get people off my back to make them be like, well, he's at least he's achieving in school. He must be fine. Like completely ignoring the like acting out that I was doing in, in other ways and like stuff like that. So, um, but so yeah, so I went to really, I went to a school in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, very conservative fratty school. Didn't really fit in there. Um, cause I came out at 18, uh, or freshman year, or maybe 19. Oh, actually, this is a story I forgot. Is that, so I took a year off in between high school and college, kind of because I had to, because I got in trouble for weed, which goes back to the story of no one really knowing, no one really like paying attention to the ways in which I was acting out, and I was just like doing Adderall and, 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 and smoking a lot of weed in, in high school, and I like, got in trouble for that, and so like then like Dartmouth was like, we, you have to take a year off before you get here, cause you're crazy, or whatever. Because <laughs> um, weed is so crazy. Weed is so, it is, it, it's like funny to think about it now, it's like, but that was like 15 years ago. How much of a like, how did, I was the president of my high school at the time and when I got in trouble for it and like the example that I was setting and how terrible I was and all that stuff. And oh yeah, just, and it's a gateway drug, right? So if you were smoking drug. weed, clearly it was just a gateway to Cocaine everything and else. Poppers. Yeah, yeah, meth and just a road down to hell basically. The road to hell, you know, and that's true. And I've, and I have, I have been traveling that road to hell and, um, it's super fun. Um, uh, but, uh, but even my parents, my parents were like, cause that year had been weird. It was, that's a, that's a different podcast altogether. But, um, the, uh, my parents were like, it was weed, whatever. And so like, they were like fine in the grand scheme of that. So long story short, I took a road trip my year off. I can't believe my parents let me do this because I was 18. And to think about, to look at 18 year kids who are 18 year old now and be like, you are not an adult. You know, like you don't know how to do anything. Like still, like I was able to take, I took like a long road trip by myself around the country. And by the time I got to New Orleans, I was like 
for all this like alone time that I had in the car, like by myself, I was like, okay, you're gay. You're just gonna have to accept that. You're gonna have to deal with that. And so I had a fake ID and I went out to one of the gay bars and, um, had my first real gay sex. I will say not at the gay bar, but, um, like found a guy and like, so like New Orleans is very special to me because I really like, you know, got fucked for the first time. <laughs> so that was, yeah. So that was when you kind of came out to yourself. Like you kind of always exactly. knew, like you always knew. Cause for me, I always knew and I just didn't want to say it. Totally. I would get to that point of almost saying it totally. and then I would totally pull back. And I relate a lot too. Cause I used to just, my mom would always push me. She wanted me to date be popular, right. like to have the boys like me and I could care less. And I'd be like, mom, I'm really focusing on school because I want right. to go to a good college. Right. And that's part of it. I wanted to get out of my hometown, but I think part of it too was that was an excuse for me. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, you just like, even if you don't necessarily realize it's an excuse, it's just, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense to latch onto something. And yeah, like I had like girlfriends and stuff, um, kind of, you know, and like I did, I have very good, you know, for better or for worse, gay people are very good at one thing. <laughs> And that is like pretending, you know, and, and that is, I think, why a lot of us gravitate to the arts in a lot of ways, because there's a lot of pretending that goes along in that. And there's a lot of like, you know, like creating a story. And I think that we instinctively know how to do that for survival from the times that we are kids, little kids, you know, we, we end up using that. I think I've, I think, you know, I'm a 34 year old man today. I don't know when this is coming out, but today is my birthday. Happy birthday. I am also 34. High five. High five. High five. It's a good year. And I feel I'm starting for the first time in my life to feel comfortable, confident, like, like I've relinquished a lot of anxiety and I'm taking a lot of control on it because I really like myself and I don't want to like bullshit anymore. I want to just like be psyched about who I am and give that out. And it takes a lot of work. We gay people grow up I mean, psychologically oppressed by society, you know, and I don't want to like blame it too much, but like it takes a long time and a lot of work to like get over that. Everyone has their struggle, but I do think that we are uniquely, um, uniquely stigmatized. Yeah. I always say, you know, it's an extra layer. And I think too, you know, now it's so, it's so different. Like all the schools have gay clubs, like right. ally clubs. And it, I knew in my school, there was one girl and I didn't even know her. And all I knew is she was Lindsay the lesbian. <laughs> she like, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and instead of like, probably, you know, being like, Hey, I should like, I respect her for this. Everyone made fun of her. She had a really fucking hard time in school. Totally. And I stayed the hell away from her yeah, because too. I didn't want to even be associated with I, her. I remember very distinctly turning down. I was the president of the school senior year and I had to turn down being a member of the GSA. And they were just like, they, I don't think they asked me to be a member because they thought I was gay. I'm probably sure probably some of them had their instincts on it. But really it was because I was like, I'm sorry, I just can't associate myself with this because I'm so scared. But really it was yeah. like, ah, I don't know. I'm just, I was like politely declined, but I wasn't ready to go there that yet, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, but I do think, I think luckily kids are having it easier now. You know, there is that like bad part of me that's like, uh, like the only th reason there is a gay culture is because we all have this shared understanding of oppression and that's what we really latch on. Like that's why gay people are, are connected in a lot of ways. And I wonder what we become when we lose that, but I don't want kids to get beat up for who they are. Yeah, and I want them to be able to be who they are exactly. instead of spending all this time, yeah. you know, trying to date members of the opposite sex when yeah, you know yeah. that's not... Like, yeah, like yeah. I dated <laughs> guys and I was a huge bitch to them and I'll tell you, the straight men fucking loved it. I tell my straight girlfriends all the time, I'm like, you should just be a be a dick to him and that's he's going to... Yeah, and he's going to want it more. And I was like, I don't want you to want it more. Yeah. But that was kind of the reverse effect. So I always found that so interesting. Like I was almost doing like a, a sociology study versus yeah. like dating somebody. 
That's interesting. I I got like I didn't Donna, I didn't I didn't realize so I always thought I was just like scared and awkward, but like girls would be like, No, you were like cool and dreamy because I was like, Why? Because I didn't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Yeah. Because you did you did what you wanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would be like, I'm going to the bar with my friends, you can come if you want and they're like, yeah. This girl's so independent and cool and I was like But also don't come. It's interesting. Yeah. Literally no one's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so you came out to yourself in New Orleans. You yeah. hooked up with someone and was like, hey, this is definitely yeah. me. What happened then? You had to come back, and did you come out to your parents next? Eventually. Or? I went to school, um, so I got back. That was like, you know, summer, fall. I don't remember specifically. Yeah, that was like summer, fall of uh, whatever. Yeah, New Orleans is always a haze. <laughs> yeah, in a way, I'm just trying, I'm just kind of trying to piece that all together. But that, you know, then I, I kept going. I traveled around the whole country, and then... I remember it distinctly. It's funny. Like, I still have the journal where I'm like, Dear Diary, I'm gay, and I'm going to be okay with it. It's going to have to be a thing. Because I think up until that point, I was like, I definitely knew. Like, I mean, I'd like, you know, I, I, but this, that was the first release of like, I'm not ready to say it, but I'm ready to like, I'm, it's the beginning of the beginning here, you know? And then, so, got to college and started coming out to friends because I was just like, I'm going to do it. And then... uh, I told my mom sometime, like, because I, I started to be able to not talk to them about anything. And I'm, st- I'm close to my parents. I like my parents a lot. They're cool. My mom had a weird hard time with it. So that was like a struggle for a year. Um, and I don't want to psychoanalyze her too much, but she went fucking crazy because fears of society. I think, it'd be, I think because I had achieved so much and, and in her mind I was the perfect child she expected me to be like president of the united states and i think coming out to her gay she was like well you're not going to be the president now where are you going to be the president of your gsa chapter at fucking dartmouth that i'm paying for like (laughs) (laughs) uh but so it took a while for for them to come around my dad was fine everyone else literally everyone else was fine i had like a pretty easy coming out experience except for the fact that my mom who was the person i needed the most um, understanding from really, uh, let me down there, but has since redeemed herself, you know, and so I can't complain about it too much. And so uh, I was in college for like, for four years, but I did two years in the middle of nowhere. Then I went to London for a term and came back and was like, oh, this is what being, this is what having fun means, is not being stuck in the middle of the freezing woods for fucking years at a time like and so but I got back from London and I was like I am ready to leave and just kind of like I didn't give up on school I just was like I don't know what I'm here for you know I just like got through it what were you majoring in? I was majoring in politics there um, you go <laughs> I was doing theater I was doing improv I was doing sketch stuff and those are the things I latched onto that a lot and so that was kind of the beginning of comedy for me was doing improv comedy with like my best friends in college then I graduated, and if you graduate from an Ivy League school, no one is like, you should get into stand-up comedy. They're like, you should get a job that will help pay back all the money that was spent. And like, and continue to give them money. <laughs> and to continue, continue to give them money. They love donations. Yeah, they do. And so I, um, I, I got into like political campaigning after that, and that took me to Las Vegas for a year. How was that? That sounds awesome. It was interesting. It was exciting. It was the first Hillary Clinton campaign, 2008. Her first winning campaign. Um, That's our campaign. She lost. (laughs) And uh, but it was cool. Like I went there to 
work, I was like, you know, I was like doing organizing and stuff like that. And it was like really intense. We worked a ton, um, met a lot of really interesting people. My roommate and boss was named Robbie Mook, who went on to become the, the campaign manager for this last cycle, her second winning campaign. And I met a lot of really cool, interesting people, but I also realized that I did not want to do that. I didn't want to work that hard for nothing and for bullshitting. Because you're basically in campaigns, you're just lying. You're telling people whatever they want to know, you know, like whatever they want to hear. And you have to either be very into the candidate, enthusiastic about the candidate, or you have to be very enthusiastic about the work, the idea of like, you know, like organizing people to do a thing, you know, and I just wasn't interested in doing that for something that I was like half-heartedly believing. And I was working for Hillary at the time and I really liked her. And I still really like her. I think she's gotten a little bit of a bad, uh, I think she's had a bad shake down in the media and all of that. But at the time, all the cool kids were working for Obama and all I've ever wanted to do is be cool. So I was like, how do I end up on the fucking fucking grandpa train over here, this establishment when I'm hip and cool? And so I was just uncertain about the whole thing. And so after Nevada, I rather than move on, I quit and moved to San Francisco. And how was living in Vegas and working there? Because a lot of people don't realize, like Vegas is insane, but Nevada is a red state. Yeah. And they're very anti-Hillary from what I know with reading, um, you know, articles and just, I've had some friends from Vegas. and We knew there was trouble for us, but not necessarily for the party when we would like knock on people's doors outside of Las Vegas and they would literally say like, I hate her for some reason. Again, doing a Southern accent, (laughs) it's it's a Nevada redneck accent, which is slightly different. Um, but like basically using very offensive language, both misogynistic and racist to let us know that they were not voting for her, but they were voting for Barack Obama. And it was like, these racists are voting for, the black guy. It got a little racist. It, got, it was definitely like playing on the 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 fears of the, of the other, and you know. So when like she turned all like all true, all so when she turned all like social justice warrior this campaign around, it was you know you see the opportunistic uh, mentality going in there. But I you know that's to me that's politics, and to me that's always been politics. Uh, so, but I just wasn't sure that I wanted to do that. If I was going to say something racist, I wanted it to be funny and ironic yeah. and on stage. <laughs> and maybe make a point that'll help. And make a point, that's what I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's what I, I seek to do. I'm not always, yeah. don't always achieve that goal. All right, so you went from Vegas to San Francisco. To San Francisco and there I live for you. The gay Mecca. The gay Mecca. I always kind of assumed I'd end up there for a time. I always assumed I would end up here, actually, too, in, in, in New Orleans. Um, cause, oh, yeah, cause, you know, that's where I got fucked for the first time. You never forget your first. Um, <laughs> that guy's probably still around. <laughs> you probably go to Oz and find him. I hope so. <laughs> cute. Um, and San Francisco was great. I worked for years, uh, did various things, started comedy there. Worked in a gay porn company for a while, which is probably the most interesting thing that I did there from a podcast standpoint. <laughs> what did you, you do with the gay porn? Um, I job? just held the, the cups of, uh, for the cum to dribble into out of the buttholes when they finished <laughs> for the drinking. Full-time job. Um, I did, I was like a personal, I was like, an, I was the assistant to the boss, so I did a lot of things that were very like office-oriented. But then things that were like totally fucking insane, like still office oriented, like making sure everyone for like the gangbangs that we were filming in the hotel 
rooms at the leather festivals, like made sure all of the people had all of their waivers signed, you know. <laughs> so it was very clerical, but yeah. it was very um, satanic at the same time. So super fun. And I learned yeah. a lot about life there, much more so than I ever did in my fancy school. I never thought about the office side of the porn industry. But... You gotta dot your eyes. Well, it's also because it's a very, uh, especially 10 years ago, it was um, still, there were a lot of rules and regulations, you know, and like there are, there were, I mean, it, the government would love to shut down um, what they see as sex crimes. And so you have to be very on top of what you do, you know, there. And so it was definitely eye opening, definitely. Interesting. I'm really happy I did that. I think I took the job for a variety of reasons, but one main one being like, this is my ticket to getting off the path that I had been on for a long time. You know, that like overachieving path for just the sake of achieving, you know? And that was like a step in a direction that I wanted to take. And so that was very liberating in ways, but also terrifying because once it all, because like literally less than a year after I was, the job was over. What am I doing? What can I say that I did for the last year of my life? If I want to get an actual job, I can't do anything. But I'm really happy ultimately. I know, you know, right now I'm very comfortable and confident in the direction that I'm heading. And so I think that, like, I'm a little less concerned that I have to take some sort of office job to survive and get a 401k. Like, I think, like, whatever it is that I'm doing creatively is going to, like, actually, like, be my career. So the porn thing is a... um that, you know, is like a, an interesting part of that journey, whereas opposed to it's like a year thing that I had to mask because I'm trying to work in a school with kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, when I graduated college that summer, I had an office job in downtown Oakland and I made at the time $19 an hour, which is probably, Pretty good. probably more than I make now. Pretty good. Um, and I was like, I could just live like this forever. I was an administrative specialist because uh -huh. there you're not a sec, I was a secretary. Right. I was like my boss's bitch pretty much. Everyone's special in the Bay. Yeah, they couldn't call it. Didn't want assistant because assistant was offensive because I had my own job and my own person. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm an administrative specialist, and you know I lived in in Berkeley and commuted to Oakland on the like I had a, that would be my life. I would have you know worked eight to four thirty and ate lunch with the same people for the next twenty fucking years, and I couldn't stand it. And yeah. I couldn't stand not having my brain be challenged. Yeah. But that would have been an easy life. So I did not take that path. So I understand, you know, doing that for a while and being like, this is good because it's, it's coasting basically. You know, you go in, you clock in, you clock out, and yeah. then you can go do what you want with the rest of your day. But it's like, do you want to spend 40 hours a week for the rest of your life just clocking in and clocking out? I spent 22 years doing exactly what was expected of me. And I was forward with that because the other thing is behind the scenes i was doing the opposite i was doing things that were like you know the deviant crazy part of you know what would be considered those things you know because like i was trying to have sex and i was trying to party and i was trying to like know who i was and figure that out and and you you know i think um you know i would not recommend everyone jump into a hardcore gay porn company just to figure themselves out you know <laughs> but if you have the like if there's something in you that is like really intrigued by that world you know i think i'm very defined by my sexuality and i'm not scared to say that i think i um i don't shy away from my gayness um i think i did for a long time you know but i think that to really when i really like think about my life and psychoanalyze myself my gayness is at the center of so much of who I am and like how I became the person that I am that I'm very intrigued by it and I'm very intrigued by sexuality as a result of that. 
And I didn't really realize it till I started doing comedy uh-huh. when over half of my comedy is just about me being a lesbian. It's interesting. And it's just, I keep, and I keep saying like, you need to work on other shit. And then even jokes about other shit, like mm-hmm. I have jokes about drinking, come back to me being a lesbian. Or I have jokes about where I'm from, come back to me, you know, being a lesbian. And it's, I, I can't stay away from that. And I realize it's just because number one, I spent so much time in the closet mm-hmm. that I had all these thoughts and feelings that, that are in me <laughs> that I never was able to share. I love that. And I feel, and I think about it too. I'm like, okay, I was in the closet for 18 years. So I get 18 years to talk about it. And then after that, we can start from a neutral place. I very much feel the same way. Um, I also think that you, cause I, I totally, it's hard because people are like, Oh, what else you got beyond your gay shit? And it's like, what do you want me to talk about? Fucking corn? Like, what do you want me to talk about that is interesting to me from my lens? My lens is a queer lens. I'm sorry, I'm not going to remove that lens to make you happy. And I also think that what we're seeing in this day and age is that no one fucking cares who you are anymore. They just want you to be honest. They really want you to be honest about whoever the fuck that you are. We just saw this in the last election cycle, the ones where the Democrats won in Virginia and stuff like that, when yeah. a trans woman fucking won. Uh, I think there was like an uh, like a, an African immigrant is a is a mayor in Montana now. It doesn't matter who you are. I do believe the country is racist, but it doesn't. Mm, it's not in the way that we're like I hate all these people. It matters more in a I want you to fucking get over the who you are part about it and just tell me what you're gonna do. And so I think in comedy, I see this all the time. I try to work. I work. I don't. I work clubs. You know. I want to work. I want to work mainstream as possible. And I'll record. Sometimes, and you can usually, at a club, you can see people on the wings, and it's always, you know, like, straight dudes or whatever. Yeah. And they're trying so hard not to laugh, because it's laughing at gay shit, you know? Because I'm talking about having a boyfriend, which is not talking about gay shit, it's just... It's just the fact that I have a boyfriend, so through your heteronormative lens, it's gay shit. You and know? you're projecting your gay life. shit, you're vomiting it right exactly. onto him. So it's like, oh, you gotta fucking talk about this shit. But there is no greater joy in my career than watching them at various points break out of that, like, that fucking that oh, masculinity yeah. that they're trying to, to wear in front of other people because they don't want to be laughing at my, like, homo stuff. But I'm, you know... I've gotten to it. It took a long time. I've been doing it for eight years. And I'm only, literally only recently feeling consistently comfortable about doing whatever I want to do. Yeah, and like my girlfriend has this purse. It's like a Bessie Johnson purse, and everyone fucking loves it. And people come up to her all the time to tell her how lovely this purse is. And I love it when straight men come up to her. Like we're in Costco, and this guy comes up, and he's like, that's my wife over there, and I don't notice purses, and I'm married, but I have to tell you, this purse is awesome. Like, really he was funny. still so compelled to share uh-huh. about this purse, but he still had to explain, like, how straight and, you know, cis male sure. and, and that he is. He has to preface it with that instead of just being like, you know, women come up, oh, I love this purse, and other everyone comes up, I love this purse, but the straight men always have this huge preface, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, we get it. We get it, you're straight, and you're male, it is and very you don't funny. have purses, and yeah. you don't look at purses, and you don't give a shit about purses, but... We get it, you hate this purse, but you love this purse, we <laughs> yeah. get it. <laughs> but you're still talking to us in the yeah, freezer yeah, yeah. island Costco, so... I love, I, it's interesting, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I have, I do kind of have hope for the future in that, because, um, we're, everyone, everyone, I think, genuinely wants to like everyone else. I really do think everyone generally wants to, like, be cool and chill, unless they've gone totally crazy, and honestly... The things that are most interesting are the people who have an outsider perspective. I I think straight guys have a lot more homosexual thoughts than they're willing to let on. And so a gay man talking to them about anything, it just gets uncomfortable for them for an extended period of time. And so I think that that's one of those things. So 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 like 
that 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 is why it's hard, I think, for gay men to um, be successful in comedy is because, like, we just make straight men uncomfortable. But in the end, if you're just yourself and you're funny, you know, because I'm not talking about like how I'm like trying to fuck straight guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was like, if all of my shows were about how I'm just waiting for you guys to laugh once, because I'm like, there's my in, he thinks I'm straight, yeah. he think, or, or he thinks over. I'm cute, so then we're going to fuck. Like, you know, like, it's hard. Um, I'm also HIV positive, which I talk about on stage. And that is, to try to do that in 20 seconds, it's yeah. like, it's like, can be very jarring for people. And yeah, and also to find the humor in that, which, mm-hmm. you know, I always think is interesting when, and I have a hard time with that is, you know, when it's something serious I want to talk about, like all the body shaming stuff or all the Me Too stuff, sure. like I'd love to talk about it on stage and have, you know, something to make it at least funny or relatable or to make people think that that's something they haven't thought before, but it, it's hard. That's a fine line and it's really hard to do. It's taken so. time. I've been doing this material for about two years. I've been positive for a long, much longer than that, but, um... I have been doing the material for about two years, and it, and it really was again until about until recently where it didn't really click. I, basically, I I tell people that they have a reaction of they don't now they lost all trust because they don't know what's about to happen. So like, I it doesn't matter where I put it in my set, you know, like I'll be making them laugh, and then at some point I know this like big reveal is going to have to happen, and then I have to quickly earn back their trust in order to like get over them and I, I'm, I'm it, it's working great these days but it took a little while I mean I almost fucking quit comedy like six months ago because I had like a string of shows and I was like I don't know why I'm doing this anymore am I doing this to make myself feel better am I doing it to fucking educate people because I'll tell you what's not happening laughter and that was like the reason why I yeah. was doing it and from a stand-up perspective because I thought like there are things in my life that are so funny as a result of this you know, and like Tignataro, I think, is an influence when it comes to like shaking people up with some serious fucking material, but also at its core, it being just like existentially hilarious. And I think that that is, was always my goal was to make sure it was funny first. And so the jokes can be maybe a little glib to some people because they're like, wait, you just told us something crazy. Yeah. You know? And personal. And personal. And I'm like, I know. I mean, one of the jokes that I do have is like, is like, I know this is, can be uncomfortable for you. I just want you to remember. Um, I just told you that I'm HIV positive, not that you're HIV positive, you know, and that like always kind of like relieves a little bit of tension and then I got to hop further onto it. But, um, it's, you know, the dueling to be gay is, and do stand up is hard enough to be HIV positive and doing stand up is even, is in my opinion, harder. You're, it's just, uh, it's not two different things. It's like building stronger muscles. You know, I got over the gay thing on stage and like manage, managing those people's expectations and making jokes funny enough and like blending all sorts of other things to make that funny. And then I decided I was going to be a HIV positive comic because that's who I am and my comedy is honest and personal that I had to like strap on some more fucking weights and train to like do to, to, to get to that point. And it almost broke me. But after like, I think I've gotten over the hump and now I just kind of think that I'm going to be I'm just gonna get a little highfalutin there, but I think that I've really like, I was gonna say like fucking unstoppable, but like mm-hmm. I, I feel really strong as a comic right now as a result of getting over these like two fears, cause now I'm just like, I've got, I do fucking material about HIV on stage, like I'm not really that scared about anything else that could come my way, and so I'm just ready to, and they're liking it, and they're liking it like across the country, like that's not just in LA like, that the they're The show liking that your it. friends come to in LA. It's, yeah. yeah, all over. Yeah, like it's all over the place. Because it's real and it's honest and it's you're putting yourself out there and it's good that, you know, where you're saying, you're reminding them, hey, it's this is me, it's not you. Exactly. So chill out. And then and just like, help listen. Them relax. And not everyone has like an HIV story that they can relate to in that, but I will say a 
a lot of people fucking tell me a story of them or their uncles or their family members, their cousins. And so that's cool. One. And they're all very thankful that I'm doing it because they're like, you know, like we know it's, and the other thing is, I don't know. I mean, this is queer mountain radio. Like I know, Mm -hmm. like, but, but it's important to say like, I'm fine and I'm going to be fine. You know, I'm another joke that I have is like, I'm going to live longer than most of the straight male comics you've ever seen because they're disgusting. And <laughs> that is like, like the, I think the medicine is great. I'm undetectable. I can't spread the disease, you know, which yeah, is nice. No. Like, that medicine nuts. has come so far oh, and it's fantastic. And so, and so, and I think that's another reason why it's okay, to, you know, to joke about it. And it's not gallows humor. It's not like, oh no, I'm going to die. Let's make weird jokes about that. It's like, oh, there's all this shame and the stigma. And this is, and this is how my perception has changed about the world because of the way that you see me, you know, and so I'm just like doing some stigma busting, but also trying to like make people laugh along the way. And I think I'm doing good work, but it goes back to what I was saying about where like, if you just, if you're confidently yourself, people are, are going to, to receive you. I think with from a standup perspective, audience members are, and this is not to denigrate them necessarily, but it's like, they just want to be led. They just want to come and have a good time, and they don't want to be led by someone who isn't, who they're not trusting is, like, who knows where you're going, who knows where they're going, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I've had, um, because my dad is a comedy writer, and I have, like, some friends that I've written with before, and they're like, oh, you should tell this joke about this, and I I don't relate to it, and every time I've tried to tell a joke, even a joke I've written about something I don't really relate to, but I'm like, I'll just take on a topic, and it's not genuine, and they never go well. Yeah. Even if it's a good, solid joke, I'll give it to, I'll be like, you do this joke, because it doesn't. It doesn't come from the heart, and I know the jokes that come from the heart hit better, even when they're not great jokes. It's a difference between stand-up and comedy writing. I mean, there are two distinct things. That's why Judd Apatow is still a bad stand-up comedy <laughs> because he's a great comedy writer, and, like, um, you know, he's really, like, putting in the work finally years later to be a good stand-up, but, um, you know, some people just kind of have have that desire to, like, to share themselves. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, we're all damaged. And you need to be damaged to be a stand-up. And I hate to say that to a certain extent, but you need to have that damage because that damage then leads you to crave the acceptance that involves putting literally yourself out there without any filter, you know? And like, and that is, it's a crazy thing that we do, but there needs to be something from within you that has made you crave the acceptance from strangers. Yeah, you ever get off the stage and you're just like, why do I like five nights a week go out yes. and get on in front of a crowd with a microphone and just talk about my personal shit? Like, what is driving me to do this? Yeah. But I can't stop. Can't stop. That drive is there. Stop. And if yeah. that drive's not there, don't do stand-up. But if it's there, you have to do it. You're compelled yeah. to keep doing it. So you started stand-up in San Francisco? Started in San Francisco, yeah. What was your first d- d- experience? It was how did you prepare? Positive. I had been like thinking on that trip, no, on a second road trip is when I started writing stand-up to myself. I started bringing around a recorder. Uh, I did, a, like, a research project in school that put me on the road again, and, like, again, the project sucked, but the experience itself was great, and I rec- started recording my thoughts and things, and I was like, oh, I'm funny, I'm making myself laugh, I should do these. So I had, like, built up this material over time, and but I still didn't, it was still, like, two and a half years before I actually got the gut to do stand-up, and I just uh, moved to San Francisco and was I, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew, yeah, I knew I wanted to do it. I just I was ready to do. I've been thinking about it for a long time, and um, it's really the first time I ever put my mind to something really like to like for with a real purpose. And I did an open mic in San Francisco and did fine. 
but did fine enough that I was like, okay, all right, you know, stupid jokes, not jokes about myself, like stupid. stupid yeah, my jokes first set was all topical shit yeah, that yeah, is yeah, not yeah. relevant at all now. Yeah. People are like, oh, you, what's the first joke? People, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at any of remembering anything, but there are so many stand who are like, this is the first joke I ever wrote, you know, because it's in my filing cabinet. I don't fucking have any of that. It was something involved getting to heaven and realizing that it wasn't God, but it was the predator. And like something along those lines. So like real groundbreaking comedy. You know? <laughs> um, and it went well enough that I did it. And the next night I was like, oh, I'm confident. I can do fucking this anywhere. And I, there's this room in San Francisco called Our Little Theater that is literally, I mean, it's as big as this room. And if you, you're listening, this room is fucking 13 by 13, maybe, you know, at yeah, most. Yeah, it's pretty small. Yeah. And um, so there's a crowd all right here. The stage is tiny. And if you if you don't know what you're doing... It fucking goes south real quick, and it was it was so bad that I stopped doing comedy for another like two months after that because I was like, oh, I can't be a comic if I can't like talk to people on stage in front of people. I like had a meltdown. But San Francisco, I actually was walking around one day on a trip on like a, I was walking back from the fucking hospital, like still like reeling from all of this, like you know, like within like the first couple of months of figuring this out, and I stumbled into this thing called Pirate Cat Radio, which is not super well known, but if you're from the Bay Area, from at a certain time, you've probably heard of it. And it was this pirate radio station that was actually broadcasting from the mission. And I just started, I struck up a conversation. The owner, who's a nutball, became a really good friend. And I just started doing a show. And I started learning how to talk into a microphone. And instead of being worried about five to ten minutes of real strong stuff, I just got comfortable being funny into a microphone. And then I got a little bit of that, that mojo back. And I realized I wasn't going to die. And I was just like, okay, I can, like, breathe again. And so I, then I hopped back into stand-up, and I've been doing it ever since. And what, what what made you decide to go from San Francisco to... You went to L.A. next, or is yeah. there another stop? Money! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, eventually all of my friends, most of my comedy friends had jumped from San Francisco to Los Angeles or some to New York, but it was time to move. It just was... It, San Francisco was a, great, was a great place to start. It still is a great place to start. And there are some amazing comedians who, I mean, in the classes, like, above me, there are, like, like it was, like, Moshe Kasher and Guy Branham and Ali Wong. Margaret and Cho, Mar- the original. I mean, that's, a, that's, like... That's she put SF on the map. Totally. And Marin was there. You know, I mean, yeah. tons, tons and tons of comics. There were various areas, but, I mean, like, you know, the, the, there's a group of comics right now who are, like, the biggest, you know, coolest alt-comics, and they're, like, they were just above me, and then... Below that is a group of comics who is about to be the next, where it's like you know, like Chris Garcia and Caitlin Gill and uh, Shang Wang, and just like 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 amazing comics all through, throughout uh, the years. And then I'm like a little bit younger than those guys, and there's another great group from that. So it was a great place to be doing comedy. There's so much awesome stuff. Frankie Quinones, Marcelo Arguello, just like I mean, it's nuts how many people. Or in our scene, who are yeah, like no, about to be a thing. I was like, I know some of those names. Yeah, so no, they're, they're legit, and they're good, friends of yeah. mine, which is so cool. But they all moved, um, and so I was like, oh, i got to move too. And it was it's hard, because you're doing it in like a satellite city, and it still feels a little bit like a hobby, you know? And then so moving to L.A., it all feels very much like it's the thing. And I've been there for three years, and I think in the last like two months, I've started to be like, oh, this is the thing. And how do you find, because, so I'm from Los Angeles originally, mm-hmm. and I go back um, a couple times a year to visit, and when I visit, I try to do comedy shows, and actually, two years ago, I spent a full month there, because I was like, I'm going to just take a month off of work, move to LA, and figure out what the fuck the scene is. Right. 
I still can't figure out the scene. I feel like there's multiple scenes. There are. And I learned about bringer shows, which if people don't bringer shows, and they do them in L.A. and probably other places, but you can get time on the stage if you bring a certain amount of people. Right. And that's how you can get in the comedy store and some of the bigger, more famous places if they don't know who the fuck you are and you don't have an agent or somebody to get you in. They're like, do a bringer show. I and think there's like people... I'm not, I'm not going to defend bringer shows necessarily because I think that people get very upset at the idea of them but you're from LA and if you can turn out people and you know that you can bringer shows can be awesome and like I'm not you know like people are making money off of off of younger comics desire for stage time which you know is a thing you know I'm, I, 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 as long as they're not fucking sexually assaulting anyone like I'm like not so upset at that power dynamic you know yeah. because that's the Hollywood and it's your choice too I, I did one bringer show at the comedy store yeah. and my mom actually brought a bunch of her Scrabble friends so I didn't have to Love you know mom. yeah do, I had a couple high school friends that came out and, yeah. and uh, Theo Vaughn popped in on that show sure. and Fortune Themester popped in on Love that show yeah. so I'm like now I can say I you know did a show with them which is cool but I, I'm still very torn about it and I don't know if I would do it again because I I was very torn at the time but my mom was like she was really like you should do it and I can get my friends and you know I think that's I mean like honestly if, if it's not if you can do it without stressing about it super hard which I think is one of the reasons why people fucking hate them so much is because it does cause all these damaged comic psyches it causes a lot of stress on top of them but if you can just like like allow yourself to relax and realize you're doing it for your career you know then I think you don't have to feel bad about it at all. I think other comics would disagree with me and be like, fuck that. Yeah. But I just like, get your stage time however you can get your stage time because the only way that you're going to be a good comic is to get stage time. And honestly, bring your shows are good stage time as long as it doesn't drive you crazy. No, it was a great. The show was sold out because everyone had to bring people. I don't do it. Um, Your Scrabble so. friends <laughs> can they come to help me out? Yeah, I don't know. They they half liked the show and half like hated it because sure. the comics were you know they're they're a little shell. Some of them are sheltered, so the the stand up world what they're not used to that. So yeah. a lot some of the comics were a little raunchier than well, than they would have liked. Yeah, and bringer shows too are like you know it's greener comics, and so their shows are not going to be as good um, content wise, you know. But there's also parts and crowds, so things are going to be better. No, I've dropped a lot of jokes. You know, I can make, like, lesbian fisting jokes, and people, the yeah. minute they hear the word fisting, it's a funny word. Yeah. The idea of it is, you know, either funny or gross to them or both. Yeah. Um, but they're not jokes. I'm just, you know, using it to use it, and I drop that shit. It's still a challenge for me. I am just by nature kind of someone who thinks darkly, you know, and I have, um, you know, I've checked myself on that, you know, and, like, but some of, honestly, I just repurposed one of the first jokes I ever wrote, and I, and it is... It is not filthy for the sake of being filthy, but the idea of it is like pretty like shocking. And I love I love it. And I think that one of my one of my goals, because I'm you know, we're all writing main we're all trying to get on TV and we're all trying to get people to fucking like it, but I do I still am you gotta be yourself. And one of my favorite things to do is to write a dirty joke or use a dirty idea and to get people to laugh despite themselves you know like it's still like you know it's easy to anyone can write a dirty joke it's hard to write a good dirty joke and I think that like you know don't move too far away from lesbian fisting if you love that as an idea you know because it's hilarious yeah, if I can find yeah if I can find a joke that's not just shock value then yeah totally. I, totally I also do love it. the idea of lesbian fisting because everyone <laughs> thinks lesbian sex is so demure 
you know, yeah. and polite, but like, it just like, that is like, that nothing is queerer than two ladies putting their fists inside each other. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I do have a joke about scissoring. Maybe I can work in yeah. fisting on that. Um, do you want to uh, tell us where we can find your podcast and Please. where people can find you? And Please. Um, my name is Casey Lai, L-E-Y. Um, please follow me on Instagram, Casey Lai, L-E-Y, Twitter, Casey W-L-E-Y. Um, and then the podcast is called The Gay Power Half Hour, Gay Power Half Hour, and you can find that on Sound, whoop, you can find that on SoundCloud or iTunes or your local favorite podcast provider, and it's 30 minutes of my co-host, Tony Soto, Drag queen, Silver Lake icon, Tony Soto, and me, Casey Lai, uh, just like, uh, clearing up life and ourselves and world issues. And it's very snappy and it's very funny. And it's only 30 minutes because really, who has the time for more than that? Thank you so much, Casey, for talking with us. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, and Amanda G, thank you all so much. Keep it going for all the beautiful babes that you've seen tonight. That was fucking awesome. I, if I, I have been doing this for a long time and I haven't written a joke that fucking good in years. God damn it. Mine's all just smut. I'm just smut all the time. How are you guys doing? That's nice to hear. Uh, gay man, thank you. So brave. He's so brave. At a gay show, he's got to admit it. That's nuts. Thank you. Gay man. A lot of people are like, though, outside of a room like this, like, can't believe you're gay, Casey. It's not that you're gay. You don't really look gay. You don't really act gay. You don't uh, really do gay things. It's weird. What's like the gayest thing you've ever done, Casey? Uh, anal, I think. Uh, with a dude? That's pretty gay, right? That's like top. That's it. Uh, that's uh, for me. That's uh, pretty good. Like, I like to wear tank tops and dance to electronic music, but mainly because those things lead to anal with more dudes. All right, lesbian crowd, got it. Okay, move on, move on, move on, move on, move on. Got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it. Um, so I do have a boyfriend. Thank you. He's so brave. He's so brave. Um, boyfriend's great. Total babe. He's great. We were talking about having kids recently. We were trying to make them too, but nothing seems to stick. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we decided, though, we're not going to have kids. We're not ready. We can't have kids, you know, because we both also expressed an interest in being the stay-at-home dad. And we can't do that, you know, not now. The country's not ready for that, you know? Like, the country's just kind of becoming okay with gay marriage. I don't think it's ready yet for two gay welfare dads. You know, just a couple of gay welfare dads adopting foreign babies, expecting the government to take care of them. The Republicans don't want to see that, you know? They're scared of that. That's why I think we should do it. I think we should be welfare queens 2.0. Just lean into it, you know, and just be like, we're adopting your babies. Going to make the government pay for them. Going to buy all the glitter. Then bedazzle our shorts. <laughs> Tough crowd. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, we don't have a kid. We got a dog instead. Better. Um, dog is great. I love having a dog because, well, her name is Frau. She's like a chai pin, which is a half chihuahua, half mini pincher. We wanted to lean into the German side because we were a little worried of focusing on the Mexican chihuahua side because we didn't want her to get in trouble in this. You know? So we like leaned in. We call her Frau. 
and uh, she's great. And a lot of people are like, oh, you got a dog, you got a dog. Is that a primer? Is that a primer for a kid? You know, a dog is good practice. If they say you raise a dog, you can get a kid. Is that a primer? And look, it's not really for us, because I have to say, there's one thing about a dog that I love so much that you can't really do with a kid, and it's the part where you can just like lock it in a cage to go at a party, you know? I don't really want to give that part up, you know, the part where you're like, dun, 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 dun. like that's the best part, you know, but you can't do that with a kid. You just can't, you know, because that gets you in trouble if you do that with a kid, uh, you know, because like I don't right now want to go like I want to go down as like Casey Lye, the gay, hilarious comedian and. If you do that with a kid, you go down as Casey Lye, the gay Casey Anthony. You guys remember her? She was a girl who partied so hard her kid died. Um, and that's a problem, because I don't need that TV credit. I don't want the TV credit to be like six weeks in a row on Nancy Grace. Like, that's not the credit that I need. You know, like, he's gay, he's hilarious, he's a monster. You guys are not liking me in a way that I was assuming that I would be liked, and that's fine. I can handle this. I've really achieved a lot of self-centered confidence, despite what happens out there in the crowd. Um, so I've lost my place because I am used to people laughing at these jokes. Um, and that's fine. So, okay, so uh, uh, politics are weird. Oh, boy, here he goes, here he goes. And here's my one thing, is uh, 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 crowds are hard for me these days because guns are such a significant issue, you know? Gun, we don't know what's happening these days. I'm not from, I'm from the bubble. I'm from the bubble. We don't have guns in the bubble. You guys here scare me a little bit. You know, just because guns are nuts. And here's the problem. Like, men were raised to shoot them up, you know, like, guys, were you, were you raised to play guns, did you play imaginary, were you given guns, imaginary guns as kids, you went out, you shot, 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 shoot, 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 did you go shoot, 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 shoot when you were younger, come on, right, thank you, it's a thing that happens, you know, and girls are raised, it's a very gendered youth we are raised in, are raised like easy bake ovens, you know, that, that's why like every like straight male chef you meet, like every straight male chef you meet, is a, their personality type is like, I'm not gay, I hate you, I'm not gay, ah! Like that's why, because they're scared of being called gay because it's all very gendered. But when you're a guy and you're growing up and you get these guns, of course we go crazy, you know? And like I, I, I didn't want to play guns when I was a kid. I wanted to bake and do whatever, but I also wanted to fit in, you know? So like when my friends were like, uh, do you want to bake cakes, do you want to play guns? I'd be like, uh, guns, guns, guns. And they're like, all right, his story checks out. Yeah, okay, all right, let's play guns. All right, zap, uh, zap, zap. And they're like, it's not zap, Casey, it's bang. And I was like, oh, bang, okay. Uh, bang, definitely bang, uh, bang, <laughs> definitely bang. Ew, no, not bang, ew, bang, yeah, you know? Um, and that's a, that's a real thing. And I was thinking about this recently. We need to make guns gay. Like, gay men need to start using guns all the time. We need to buy a bunch of guns, shoot them, not at people, at just like effigies of Roy Moore or whatever, you know, we just need to like shoot them into the ground, into the air, not at people, you know, because if guns then become equated with homosexuality, then all these dumb losers won't want to use them anymore, you know what I mean? Like they'll be like, I don't want to shoot no fag stick, I'm gonna go back to school, I guess, I'm just gonna go back to school. I'm going to go back to school and learn how to read and not elect a child molester to the Senate. Like, that would be awesome. 
if we could get there, you know, but we're not totally there. This country is so fucked. Here's my one problem with being, uh, this joke is not going to go over well here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to just be yourself, Casey. Be yourself. Be yourself. Um, I, I, here's my one problem with being like a woke liberal in this day and age is that I can't body shame Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, like I just want to a little bit. See, I knew it. It wasn't going to go over well at all. You're not allowed to say she has the demeanor of a high school football coach. You're just not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that, you know. And I just, I'm like, she defends Donald Trump on a daily basis. And I don't want to say anything that's worse than Donald Trump probably says about her behind her back, you know. Not going to do the joke. I'm not going to do the joke, Casey. Don't do the joke. Here's all I'm going to say is, instead of calling her Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I want to start calling her Sarah Applebee's Sanders. Because it kind of makes the point, you know, because she gets out there day after day and she just shovels pile of shit onto fucking a dumb American to just eat it up and get sick. You know, like that's what she's doing. So all I'm asking is next time you see Sarah Huckabee Sanders fucking lying to your face from the television, just be like, there goes Sarah Appleby Sanders just talking again. Okay. Um, I think that deserves... She's... Like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I get it. Like, it's not... It's like the, the, the body shaming thing. I, I really am just kidding. I wouldn't do it. It's a joke because I'm a comic and I make jokes. But, like, she gets up there and defends Donald Trump every day. So let's, let's just put our... Fuck, let's let's ha hold our allies tight and our enemies from far away. So, okay. Um, so I work in a vintage clothing shop in Los Angeles. Thank you. The glamour. So real. Um... And it's cool. I didn't know a lot about vintage clothing before I got into it, but I like it a lot because it's interesting how much money people will spend to look like a fisherman's assistant or a chimney sweep, you know? Like, it's, you know, the type. It's like, do you clean chimneys for a living or do you direct music videos for Sia? And they're like, well, I can do both, governor. You know, like that kind of person. You know, like that kind of person. That kind of person. Real interesting person, you know? And, I, and so this place is super Hollywood, and as a result, it's super cool. Um, you know, it's like in this repurposed uh, auto body shop. You have to have an appointment to shop there. It's in an up-and-coming, gentrifying neighborhood. But the owner is Asian, so I think we're okay. And uh, I like it a lot. But because it's so cool, that means that, like, really cool Hollywood people shop there. And by that, I mean trash. Just total fucking trash. Um, People who are like, you know this, this type of person. People who are like, hey, what's your name? Call me too. People like that. You know that person? People who are like, what do you mean you don't have a cold brew? And it's like, it's a clothing shop. And they're like, fucking, oh, fine. I'll just do cocaine instead. It's the same price. You know, like that kind of person. You like that kind of person? You know, that kind of person. Like, I was having a conversation with a woman there the other day. And she was going on and on about how well she knows Kanye West. And the minute she stopped speaking, she stepped in dog shit. And I was psyched. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, I was psyched. Like, the type of person who I was psyched to see step in dog shit. Like, that kind of person fucking step, fucking shops there. And so it's interesting. Um, and, uh, but I don't want to work there. I want to work in television. I want to be famous because I deserve to be. And, um, uh, you know, I almost got a job, actually, recently in television on a cable game show. Just, I got so close to working in cable, mom was super proud. Uh, and I lost out on the job to a woman of color with more experience than me, which is called uh, justice. <laughs> it's called justice in the world we've been fighting for. I just thought after Trump, we maybe weren't doing that anymore. You know what I mean? Um, 
Thought maybe we were gonna give the unqualified white guy a chance for once, but my wrong, my wrong. Future is still female. Give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up. And I understand she deserved the job, you know, but when it comes down to representation, like I know I kind of appear to be like a bit of a heteronormative white guy, but I'm barely those things, okay? I'm gay and HIV positive, yeah. Double trouble, you know? So like, and where's our representation in Hollywood? You know, like how much HIV does a guy have to have in this business to get a job? The only person I know who's working is Charlie Sheen, so I guess the answer is a lot. Um, I guess the answer is a lot. All right. Um, you know, and I am HIV positive. I know that can be like a crowd splitter. Um, uh, but I just want to remind you, if that's tough material for you guys um, and you're uncomfortable, I didn't just tell you that you're HIV positive. It's still me, so you can relax and have some fun. You know what I mean? Um, not too much fun, because that's how you get it. And... Uh, but again, that, people's reactions can vary in that uh, when they hear that. You know, sometimes I'll do shows and people are like, oh, well, this was fun. Maybe it's time to wrap it up now. And I'm like, wrap it up now? I should have wrapped it up then. <laughs> then none of us would be in this predicament, you know? Uh, but on the other side, people will be like, oh, you're HIV positive. Interesting. You sound fun. Because let's be real about this one fact. You have to be at least a little bit fun to get HIV, you know what I mean? You have to be like, at least, there has to be an opening, you know what I mean? Because no one who's like, nothing up here, nothing down there, no, 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 nothing here, nothing here, nothing here, nothing queer, they're not gonna get it, right? But if you're a bit more like, in all then days, a glimpse of stocking was, look at us, something shocking, well, now God knows, anything goes. There's a chance, there's a chance, is all that I'm saying. I know, so brave, so brave, so brave, so brave. He's so brave. Um, and look, I'm fine. I know. I mean, the the the, I, the reason I do this material is because we've crossed the fucking we've crossed we've crossed the river. Like I'm fine. I'm gonna live. I'm gonna live as long as Donald Trump doesn't destroy the world. You know, like I'm gonna live until the end of the world. You know, because I take a pill a day. I'm definitely gonna live longer than most of the straight male comics you've ever seen. They're disgusting. Um, they're disgusting. Their disease is up here. Um, you know, I take one pill a day, couple pills of Molly a month, and I am thriving thriving, you know? Um, and I am uh, also, a lot of information coming to you guys, uncircumcised. Thank you. Whoa, a lot of info. Yeah, gay, HIV positive, uncircumcised. Uh, to use a Hollywood term that makes me a real triple threat. And uh, I bring up the uncircumcised thing because this is real. I've had more people turn me down for sex in my life because of my uncircumcised penis than for the fact that I'm HIV positive, which is nuts to me, you know? Because their justification is always like, oh, well, it just looks weird. I don't like the way it's a lot of extra skin. It's like that movie Tremors. It's just like, it's like you know, it's just like, it's just like, what's it gonna eat? What's it gonna eat? I don't know what's it gonna eat. I don't know what's it gonna eat. I'm like, I don't you know? And it's nuts to me, because I'm like, wait, hold on, let me get this straight. My cum is poison. And you want to have sex because I got a weird dick? That is... Progress, maybe, but it's backwards. It's backwards, okay? In my mind, it's backwards, okay? And also, I don't want to push it, but that's the way a penis is supposed to look, okay? That's the way a penis is baked. That's how it comes out, you know? Like, we call female circumcision genital mutilation, and it is no different for boys. It's the same goddamn thing, okay? It means, at least my dick is intact. Full of poison, sure, but intact. That's a funny joke. Okay, um... Playing fast and loose. And circumcision is such a nuts thing, especially in the, like, religious 
way. You know, like, because in the Jewish faith, you cut the tip off of your baby's penis and you offer it up to God. The question, of course, remains, what does God want with all that baby dick? What's he doing with it? What's he doing with it? I don't know. No one knows. It's religion, though. So you can speculate. Perhaps God is up in heaven, and he's got, like, bowls and bowls of, like, little ringlets of baby dick that he eats like calamari. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or he's just like, I don't know. It's so good. It's so, he's Italian. Whatever. I don't know why. Who's so good, you know? I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is true if you listen close enough to heaven, you might hear God singing, I want my baby dick, baby dick, baby dick. I want my baby dick, baby dick, baby dick. It's a Chili's joke. It's clean. It's TV ready. Okay. Um, this is fun. Uh, so fun. So I have a boyfriend. Thank you. So brave. So brave. Said that already. Uh, and I will say, having a boyfriend is great, but um, our sexual habits have had to change. Uh, he doesn't want me to have sex with other men. And I'm like, I didn't realize I was dating a Republican. That's fine. Um, fine. So we would like skew things. Here's one rule. I'm not allowed to uh, cruise for sex in the showers at the gym anymore. Bummer. I know. You're right. Bummer, you know. And it's fine because you can only jerk out to so many guys at the shower at the gym before you start to get a reputation, you know. So it's like, wrap it up. Um, and when I had that realization that my days of cruising for sex in the showers at the gym were over, it dawned on me that only gay men we're the only people who can have that realization, right? That our days of cruising for sex in the shower at the gym are over. Because as far as I know, there aren't any, like, heterosexual co-ed showers at the gym. That sounds a bit like a crime. <laughs> you know, a bit like a grandmother pussy crime. You know, I don't want to see that. And I'm not positive about this. You guys proved me wrong. But I'm pretty sure that lesbians aren't in the shower at the gym being like, you here now. Yeah, and you, come on, let's do this. Yeah. Ah! You know, lesbian sex, right? Um, stay with me. Because uh, lesbians aren't really like that. Not in my head, not in the gym showers at least. You guys are the best, you know? But in the gym showers, in my head, lesbians are a bit more like, oh, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Couldn't help but respectfully notice that remarkable bush you got there. That bush is top notch. Hey, uh, I'm going to be heading out to a seminar on combating transphobia in elementary schools, and I was hoping you'd come with. Ah, oh, what's that? You're happily partnered. Say no more, baby. Up top, up top, up Two months, you're living together? Up top, up top, up top, up top. Hey, lesbians unite, all right? Namaste, soul sister. Namaste. Those are overalls. And then, uh, and then a lunch panel, and it's back to work, back to work. Because you guys are crushing it. I know it's a lesbian crowd, so I'm just going to say you guys at this point. Uh, lesbians are crushing it. You're just better, you know? Like, because you're women and you're gay, you get shit. You know, you just fucking get it. Like, a black lesbian? That's the coolest fucking person in the entire fucking world. You know, who's the coolest people in the whole world? Any black gay woman you've ever met, RuPaul, Michelle Obama. Like, those are the coolest people in the entire world, right? It's just true, you know? Especially compared to gay men. Especially compared to gay men. We're fine. Lesbians, though. You guys are out there, like, building armies of socially conscious, gender-neutral kids for marches. You know? Like, the best. And, like, gay men, ugh. We're, like, still trying to get our dick stuck through glory holes. Like, that's our thing. That's our thing, you know? I don't think I have to explain a glory hole to this crowd, but it's a little hole in the wall. You put your dick through it, you get your dick sucked. They're great. Um, they also prove to me that gay men are the most courageous people in the entire world, right? Because we would literally put our dicks through a random hole in a wall somewhere and just hope, right? Just fucking hope. Just fucking, oh, 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and on the other side of that wall, there's a mouth waiting to suck it. Might not be a mouth. Could be scissors. Or just like a hand waiting to punch it. See, I told you gay sex was dangerous. I'm like, Mom, is that you, Mom? Get out of that glory hole, Mom. You're creeping everyone out. My mom always worries they're going to talk about her on stage, and I'm like, not in the way that you think. I'm going to put you in a glory hole punching dicks, so you can relax about that time you came out to me as a lesbian to show me how it feels. <laughs> and that's the story of how I became a stand-up comic. Thank you all very much. My name is Casey Lai. so much for tuning in to our third episode of Near and Queer to My Heart. Thank you so much to our guest Casey Lai for sharing his world with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsor this week, Digit Spinner. From the folks who brought you kegels, now comes Digit Spinners, the spinner to work out those special fingers that need a little extra muscle strength for turning those intimate moments into intimate hours. Digit Spinner, Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show, and to Laura Sanders for creating our beautiful unicorn logo. And thank you to our friends and supporters out there. We really couldn't do this without y'all. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain live in New Orleans, Austin, and New York City. Check out our Facebook page for more information. Thank you!
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.